number four. It's <laughs> my favorite part of doing countdown shows. <laughs> number four. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we honor the genius movie scores of John Williams and give you our picks for his top five film scores of the 80s. Don't forget, Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the brand new CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, everybody. Now do the theme to the People's Court. Steve, joining us today, someone who lives and breathes movie soundtracks, the tallest guest host in the history of podcasting, Fact Check True, I give you Just Drew. Gentlemen, how have you guys been? Oh, so great to hear your voice again. It's so nice to be back. Thank you for having me back on probably one of my favorite topics is, is movie scores. I absolutely love movie scores. And tell us why. I think that they are the modern version of an opera. Um, these composers are as good as some of the greatest composers of all time. I mean, you're talking about Bach or Mozart, and I think easily are subject to danger. <coughs> bullshit! Bullshit! <coughs> I think John Williams could easily be up there with Mozart. No yeah. doubt in my mind. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> That's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to being right, too. Well, the sad thing is we won't know whether you're right for another couple hundred years, but that's okay. I, I'd like to I'd I, like to find out. I, this is a question I think about all the time. Like, what are what are going to be the enduring uh, pieces of music that survive this time? Because as much as I like it, it ain't gonna be Devo. <laughs> well, I I also think that guys like John Williams. I mean, they knew at, at during their time that Mozart was a great composer, and I think that we know at our time that John Williams is a great composer. His his music isn't just part of the film i mean half the time it's making the film it, it's yeah. it's not just the greatness of a, and i'm sorry this is out of the 80s but it's not just the greatness of the cinematography of jaws it's that score yeah it's the nothing without the, it's that. nothing yeah. without that cue underneath it yeah i wouldn't say nothing but that, that's all the impact you know all the anticipation is carried in the, the musical score absolutely and i think it was with john williams when i was a kid i don't I'm going to admit something that's a little bit embarrassing, but I used to put on Star Wars and put on headphones at night when my parents were asleep, and I'd stand in the living room 
and I would pretend to conduct the orchestra because I was so <laughs> amazed with what I was hearing. You know, it'd be one o'clock in the morning, and I'd take the headphones off, and I my ears would ring forever just because I had it so loud. Yeah. I loved those movie scores, and John Williams taught me what a theme was within a movie score and how you could do a theme and make that blend with everything else. And so I just have nothing but crazy respect for John Williams. He's one of my favorites. Well, I will quote the great Igor Stravinsky, good composers borrow, great composers steal. And John Williams has taken a lot of material from other composers, but he's packaged it in a way that when you hear it, people are almost like, oh, no, that's from Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that about borrowing, too, because um, as a trailer editor and having worked in trailers for the past 20 years, we like to take scores from other films when we can and use them in a new trailer. It's, it's borrowed equity. It gives that film a little something that people are familiar with. Yeah. And in a trailer, they go, oh, yeah, I remember that. It's a good feeling. I may see this film. We did it with Shawshank Redemption. We used the score from Miller's Crossing. What is interesting is you can't do that with most of John Williams' scores. They're so iconic they stand alone that you can't use a Jaws theme in another trailer unless you're doing right. it almost ironically. I mean, the, the latest. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. As a, as a nod to the yeah. audience. Like, oh, and hey, something's crazy. The latest uh, Deadpool trailer. But in the middle, they stop down and they do this kind of ripoff of Toy Story using little figurines and stuff. But I noticed the score in the background they used is from Silverado. Oh, funny. So that's uh, there's a term for that in, in composition. It's called leitmotif. Oh, okay. That's uh, a recurring theme that is associated with a person, idea, or situation. And I think there is no modern score composer that has more successfully leveraged, you know, attaching himself to his themes that way than John Williams. Yeah. And he kind of, I mean, everything old is new. Everything new is old. He kind of got, that's a big thing for Wagner. Uh, oh, yeah. You talk about operas. So, I mean, most people don't go see the ring cycle because it's like 14 hours long. But everybody remembers what's opera doc with the, you know, spear magic helmet. So that's that's kind of Wagnerian. <laughs> Those themes where it's a strong association with a particular composer. He he is a master of it today. I mean, I, I can I can maybe name two or three other composers, but I can't name any of their themes the way you can. John Williams, you can rattle off five or six of them without. Yeah. Even yeah. I mean, there's a couple that I can throw out there, but. For the most part, I just think a guy that has two movie scores in AFI's top 10 scores of all time, he's not just stealing from other people. This guy is – he's doing oh, an no. incredible I mean, amount of work and and to be able to put out that much material and be that consistently good, uh, yeah. I just love this guy. Well, like, like I said, good composers borrow, but great composers steal. So I'm actually putting him in the great category for you there, Drew. <laughs> well, actually, I guess uh, Stravinsky did that. Yeah. So you might be wondering why we are trying to tackle the topic of John Williams right now. It's because it's time again for the Winter Games. As we sit here, the Winter Games in South Korea just began a few days ago. By the time you're listening to this, it, they're either a week old or you're listening to this podcast five years from now and I'm dead. Either way, <laughs> either way, Damn. we kind of felt like... <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. I don't think you wrote that. Old Spears, he's back. The, uh, we've batted around this idea for a long time, and it just felt like the time was right for it. So earlier this week on the blog, uh, I do a blog at tempe.com, I tried to tackle the topic of ranking John Williams, his work in the 80s from bottom to top. And you think of him, I always used to think of him as like a composer who maybe, like I wasn't aware of him before the mid-70s. Yeah. 
But I was shocked to find out during my research that he's been writing scores for films since 1954. Yeah. And in fact, um, that year, he wrote the music for a tourist promo film for Newfoundland. (laughs) Here's what it sounds like. I'm so glad you found that cue. I read that a long time ago, and I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So I like that you found that music. So so between that forgotten footnote and the latest edition of the Star Wars franchise, um, there's so many pieces of work for us to talk about today. We're obviously going to constrain ourselves to the 80s. At the very end of the show, though, I've allowed us to wander the streets aimlessly at night, and we'll each pick our favorite John Williams scores from outside the 80s, either before or after. Okay. So I don't know if I mentioned this before, 15 movie scores in the 80s for uh, John Williams. And there's some unlikely ones here. And we're only going to do the top five, but I want to mention the other 10 briefly. And I'm going to go in these in the order that um, I ranked them on the blog. So these are from worst to best. And I'd like to jump in and say, as much as I love John Williams and I will defend him forever – he did have some bad scores. Well, and the, the first one you mentioned is, is freaking he, terrible. He, I don't know that the score was bad, but the movie certainly was. Uh, in 1981, he did the score for Heartbeeps. Does anybody remember this movie? I remember we showed it at the drive-in for a week. <laughs> that was like wow. as, the second feature, as, as the second feature on a double bill. Wow. It made $31 that week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cars were driving out, throwing us money, giving us money to leave. It's <laughs> let us out. You can go on YouTube and listen to yeah. it. It's it's it starts out so horrific that you don't want to continue, but eventually it it takes the sound and form that you expect from him. But I still got to wonder, like, you know, how do they talk him into this? Because I don't think there's any on any surface. I don't think that's a movie that anybody should have invested a single dime into. <laughs> uh, in 1984, yeah. he did the score for a movie called The River. Anyone remember that one? Uh, I remember the movie, but I don't remember seeing it. I'm not sure I saw it. Had Mel Gibson and Sissy Spacek. They are no, I don't struggling farm family. It's not the kind of stuff that we would. You didn't take a date to go see the river back in 1984. (laughs) So I mean, hence some of these movies just weren't on our, you know, on the table for us. Yeah, Uh, in fact, most of these, most of the ones I'm going to mention, not on the table. The next one, Monsignor from 1982. Starring Christopher Reeve as a priest and his rise to the Vatican. If you if you listen to this score, it sounds like a mix of The Godfather or The Thornbirds. So interesting. Yeah. So here's one that I did not know he did. Uh, in 1986, he gave us the score for Space Camp. That had a great cast. It, <laughs> yeah, that movie, Space Camp, it had a it great did. cast. It did, but it was is not Come a good on. movie. I, <laughs> no, it's a terrible movie. And and it came out right about the time of the whole. Challenger disaster, so yeah, yeah. bad time. Our good friend uh, Beth and Turkey um, used to work for Space Camp, so ah, too soon, too soon. Okay, so now we're starting to get into familiar territory. Um, obviously, he worked for a couple of the franchises, the big film franchises of the '80s. So you have Return of the Jedi, 
Yeah, I'm glad you wouldn't put that one last. It's got the parade <laughs> yeah. of the Ewoks. I know man. that's I a hate thing. It's the like Ewoks. the best thing. It, the, the thing it's known best for is the thing we hate most about this movie. So, God. yeah, yeah. If it's a negative association, then I'm yeah. sorry. You know, it doesn't doesn't get to make the uh, top five. Up next, yeah. as we enter what what be, would be, would be my top ten. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I, I would say not only is this the worst Indiana Jones movie. I was going to argue with you on that. I think Crystal Skull I, is Crystal worse. Crystal Skull is worse, yeah. I think this has aged better I, than I, I refuse to accept Crystal Skull as a possible answer. As far as I'm concerned, that's like a rogue James Bond movie. But Temple of Doom, is it's, it's not much better, but it is better than Crystal Skull. It is. And it has the opening number, Anything Goes, which is probably the only bright side of the, to the entire movie. Right next to it, it's... <clears throat> it's far superior brother the final movie in the trilogy that i recognize indiana <laughs> jones and the last crusade that's a great film. it's a great yeah. Oh, yeah. film oh yeah what i like to do when i was when i was doing this i would listen to the scores and when i listen to the score if i could see the movie happening in front of me in my head as i'm yeah. listening to it automatically goes really high on the list and this one to me as soon as you start listening you're like i remember exactly where this happens in the movie i remember exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what's going on here? In 1988, he gave us Accidental Tourist. I never saw that it one. Is, That's William Hurt, right? William Hurt, Gina Davis. Yeah. I think so. Gina yeah. Davis. Great movie. Well known for the acting. I don't think people sit there and name check. You know, let's, you know, let's throw on the uh, <laughs> side two of Accidental Tourist. <laughs> it's good, but it's no Accidental Tourist. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good band name. But uh, 1987, The Witches of Eastwick. Another share movie I never saw. God, she had a bunch, didn't she? I know. Yeah, she I really never did. saw. She I never really saw did. Moonstruck. Not- you guys were talking about that recently. You never saw Moonstruck? Nope. Yeah, I hadn't until very recently. Uh, so interesting. We just lost John Mahoney last week too. It's really sad. Yeah, which is Eastwick not memorable, but still, he did uh, get some Grammy and Oscar nods for it. So there you go. And finally, outside the top five, uh, Born on the Fourth of July from 1989. I really like that score. I remember really liking the movie. I, I'm sure I saw this one in theaters, but I don't remember it as as much as I do your top five. So I think this is a good place yeah, for it. It is. Yeah, it is. Speaking of John Williams and his work for the Olympics, it's Winter Games time again, as I said. And that means that maybe you don't have as much free time each night to prepare a huge meal. That's why we're glad HelloFresh is around. HelloFresh is uh, sponsoring the podcast again for 2018. Happy to have them back. The best part about it, your meals come to your doorstep in pre-measured packaging, and they're quick and easy to use. Each meal comes with an illustrated recipe, and most meals can be done in 30 minutes or less, which is just perfect for nights when you're trying to watch speed skating finals. If you're worried about cost, don't be. HelloFresh dishes are less than $10 a meal. I'm a fan of the one-pot recipes. Brad, you like the 20-minute meals, right? Oh, who doesn't like a 20-minute meal? A hot <laughs> fish in 20 minutes? I can't order a pizza in 20 minutes. I know. You can't do anything in 20 minutes. You can't barely boil water in 20 minutes. But here's the best thing yet. And I know this sounds weird, but HelloFresh will make you a better, more confident cook. That's the side benefit of working with the freshest ingredients. Trust me, I can dice a shallot now with the best of them. So uh, I can. I can. Sharp knife. I'm proud of you, man. Never stop learning. <laughs> sharp knife. Illustrated recipes. I- I'm set. I love this place. So join me and Brad as HelloFresh regulars. Just go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code RADICAL30 to save $30 off your first order. That's HelloFresh.com, promo code RADICAL30. If there's anything more radical than HelloFresh, it's the top five movie scores we picked as our favorite John Williams scores of the 80s. Are you guys ready to get started? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Number five. 1989's 
always. Okay, show of hands here. Who has seen this movie? I own it on DVD. I love this you movie. Do not. I do I love this movie? And I love the whole story and the the idea of the afterlife. And there's a moment where Holly Hunter describes Brad Johnson as all twisted steel and sex appeal. And I always wanted a woman to describe me as that. I just I love this movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> John Goodman, come on. If only I had known, I would have introduced you that way for the podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I've once been described as all sex appeal and oatmeal. Mm. <laughs> Here we go, folks. This movie, by the way, was a remake yep. of a 1940s flick called A Guy Named Joe. And it's probably, in my mind, it's better remembered for Richard Dreyfus and his whistling. The whistling he does to help himself relax. And he teaches yeah. it to his uh, to Brad Johnson. Yep. I love – for the, I, I still do that. Like when I used to have a job and I used to go to an office and make money, I would wander the halls. <laughs> I would wander the halls whistling the tune from Always, from Richard Dreyfuss. Did it ever work? Did a woman ever stick her head out of her bay and be like, oh, I know that? No, I, I'm telling you, at that place, I might as well have been uh, the ghost of Richard Dreyfuss. Nobody, nobody paid attention to me. But that's fine. <laughs> Oh. That's okay. And I wanted to pick something that was a little bit unusual. We can all sit there and talk about the most obvious candidates forever, but always to me, a special movie to John Williams, special movie to uh, Richard Dreyfuss, a very special movie to Steven Spielberg, who spent so much of his life wanting to remake this movie. Yeah, yeah and it was and Audrey Hepburn's last film. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I was about to say. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah, please go see it. The moment where Richard Dreyfuss is actually think the cue is called Meeting Hap. Because that's Audrey Hepburn's name in the movie Hap. And it's this beautiful, quiet theme that I just, I love that. It's so, you know, Williams is known for these big, extravagant scores, but he can really, really tighten that up and, and give you a really beautiful, quiet scene. Okay, the list marches on. Number four 1982's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. So this score, again, I think is connected to when you hear that score, you see the bicycle riding across the Mm -hmm. moon, right? Was there a bicycle in this movie? I I think there was a bicycle in this movie. I didn't see this movie. There was also an alien in this movie and some... You've never seen this? Not all the way through. He dies at the end, right? Gosh. Oh my gosh. So so we got one person, Steve, who hasn't seen it all the way through. My lasting memory of this movie is showing it to my then, I think, 10 or 11-year-old son one night, and about 30 minutes in, he turns to me and says, Dad, is anything going to happen in this movie? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're right. And we turned it off and watched something else. (laughs) It's so slow. The pacing is just, it's it's pre-MTV, basically, is the the shorthand way to put it. And then, Drew, why don't you tell us how you feel about E.T.? 
Well, I just, I wasn't a fan of it because by the time I got to go see it, it had been out for like a month and a half and E.T. was already on the cover of Rolling Stones. My (laughs) rabbi actually did a sermon on him. I mean, it it was overwhelming the amount of information I had. So I pretty much knew the movie before I even got to go see it. And you know, when you have high expectations, because everybody talks about it and then you get there and you're like, well, this wasn't that great. So that's, that's where I come in. It's just, it it was, it it couldn't live up to the hype. It just suffers, yeah, suffer from the yeah. build-up. My thing is that 1982, and I, I, we've talked a bit about this on the show before, but I'm sure people are still screaming at their iPhones right now, like, how could Spearsy not have seen ET? 1982, I was 15 years old, and the last thing I wanted to do was be dragged by my parents to go see, like, a rated G film. You know, I wanted them to buy me a ticket so I could get in to see Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I didn't want to see... Yeah. A Muppet dance around yeah. on screen. <laughs> Fine, bicycle. yeah. See, this is where living in a one-screen town like Weatherford, Oklahoma, you know, it's like, do you want to go to the movies? It's like, okay, what's playing? I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. go. And it was one. It was one movie, and it was playing there for a month, so you got to see it, and that's all it was. So yeah, everybody yeah. eventually saw it. That except for <laughs> that being said, back to the score. This score was the fourth in history to accomplish the feat of winning the Academy Award, the Golden Globe, the Grammy, and the BAFTA. The previous two, Star Wars and Jaws, composed by John Williams, who remains the only person to have won all awards for the same score more than once. Wow. Oh, wow. So I will, I swear to God, I have some time on my hands these days. I will try to sit down and watch E.T. <laughs> one night. You know, like a saddest man in the world with his gin and tonic watching uh, E.T. So... <laughs> <laughs> The very, very young Drew Barrymore <laughs> yelling at the screen. Oh, look at Reese's Pieces. I love Reese's God. Pieces. So that's not going to be a problem. I just, <laughs> oh, I, no one likes Reese's Pieces. You're insane. No one. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're insane. I, I, I think you are the only person I've ever oh, heard God. say I love Reese's I'll Pieces. I'll bring him on the yeah. cruise. I, I'll, I'll, I'll hand him out to, to strangers. You'll have no trouble having <laughs> I, watch I yourself. I beg to differ anyway. You may <laughs> beg all you want. <laughs> <laughs> the list marches on. Number three. 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is there a perfect movie? Is there a perfect movie? Because if there yeah. is, this yeah. is it. Yeah, it just is. This is one of those scores that uh, you just can't help but love. I mean, even though they play it at all the Raiders um, football games, I still like this score. Uh, oh, they do? They do? <laughs> oh, I had no oh, yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of their main now things. I like it a little yeah. less. Did, did we talk about this? This this summer, the um, L.A. Phil did a live accompaniment of this movie where the orchestra was on stage at the Hollywood yeah. Bowl and played all the music to it while they screened the movie. That's cool. It was amazing. It was amazing. And one of the great things about this score is it's not just the main theme that we all know, but the the opening theme when they're walking oh, yeah. through the jungle. Yeah. I mean, it just sets that mood so yeah. well. Uh, Marion's theme. I mean, everything is is just really. I mean, you, yeah. this yeah. is another pure example of a of a soundtrack you can put on, and you can listen to it, and you know exactly what's happening every second of the mm-hmm. When I was a kid, and Star yep. Wars came out in seventy seven, and we got the double vinyl album, my friends and I would would mm-hmm. play the score, and we would literally reenact the entire movie. Okay, guys, now it's time to to really figure out where things are going to land. Uh, number two on our list. 
of the top five John William movie scores of the 80s. Number two. 1987's Empire of the Sun. Anybody surprised I picked this so high? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I'll give you it. It's your list. It's fine. <laughs> That's the key. The key to any great list is picking something bizarre either at one or two. So uh, I love Empire of the Sun. Sure. It, it remains one of my favorite movies from the 80s, especially one of the favorite movies by these particular gentlemen. It is, to me, the acting and the, the score are inseparable. Just I don't, There's no other way to kind of describe it. But there's a chilling performance. It happens a couple times in the movie where uh, Christian Bale, who plays the little kid, Jim, is singing mm-hmm. a traditional Welsh uh, lullaby. I think I, – I, I can't pronounce it. It's Sugan. It's in Welsh. So yeah. It's in Welsh. So just to yeah. say that only Steve McGlaim could possibly know what uh, how to pronounce this. <laughs> but um, – Start another incident. <laughs> but when he sings it at the scene where these Japanese pilots are taking their last sake shots in preparation for being kamikaze pilots, and he salutes them and starts singing it, oh my God, waterworks. <laughs> This movie just goes all over the place, but it's the score that gives it its wings. And that's, to me, why I had to put it so high and because it was by list. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Rank hath its privilege. In in all fairness, Uh, write your letters to Steve. In all fairness, Grammy nomination, Golden Globe nomination, Oscar nomination, BAFTA winner. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my friends, is there any any, uh, surprises what the number one pick might be? Here we go. Nope. Number one. 1980s, The Empire Strikes Back. No surprise at all. There's a reason why college football stadiums still play this song 40 years after its release. It is and will probably always be John Williams' most iconic work. I loved when we started looking at all this stuff. I went on you know, YouTube and I was looking. And there's a couple moments where there's YouTube clips of John Williams just surprising people coming out and doing these live performances. 
And the moment he starts the Imperial March, people lose their shit. It is such an amazing <laughs> that they, you know, it, you can't help but love it. That's the the brilliance of John Williams. Yeah, he gets to your soul. He gets to your core with these with these cues, and uh, it's why I love him. It's why he's the best. You know, what else is the best. The, the Seggies. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Ah, yes, the theme song to our newest Seggy, Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> I, I <got> it. <laughs> no, he, he's not bitter, though, folks. Not one bit. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys remember the movie that this came from? Was the movie first? The, or was song, the song was first. first. The song in was... 1978, it was this version of the song. And then the movie came out in the okay. early 80s. I remember seeing it. It had Bigfoot, you know, the monster truck. Oh, God. Really, if you ever get a chance. <laughs> oh, my God. Then I'm sure. Seriously? Yeah. Amazing. If you ever get a chance, if it ever, you'll never get a chance to see it. I'm sure it'll never come on cable. You might sometime by miracle see a copy of it floating around on DVD for a for 99 cents. By all means, buy it. Was this a Roger Corman picture? Because the 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 poster looks very Roger Corman. Or maybe Cannon. I don't films. remember anything about it. To be honest, I remember stuff I shouldn't remember <laughs> about it. You know, as a 12 year old watching something you're not supposed to be watching. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so we got a couple letters. Uh, like I said, like everyone knows by now, I got laid off. Uh, it's almost been a month now. And um, I've really enjoyed all the West Wing reruns. And now I'm on Top Chef reruns. But I am still trying to find a job. But in the meantime, people are sending in their their layoff stories. And I appreciate it. It does make me uh, feel a little less lonely. So our first email is from Peter Ryan in Montreal. And uh, Drew's going to give us the honors. All right. <clears throat> Hi, Steve. I was overseas the past couple of weeks and only just heard about your layoff. I know that you will recover nicely and find something that will take advantage of your significant talents and abundant energy. <laughs> nice to energy. start off by sucking up. Wow. Man. Uh, I wanted to share my own layoff story with you. I had been working in Montreal at an office downtown in the late 1990s, but was itching for some adventure overseas. I'm a dual citizen, Canada and Ireland. So I decided in the summer of 2000 to throw caution to the wind and bought a one-way ticket to Dublin. Hmm. It was the height of Ireland's economic boom, and within a couple of weeks, I had secured a role in the marketing department of Gateway Computers European Headquarters, situated in North Dublin. The job was brilliant, with interesting work, fun people, and access to all of Europe, only a short plane ride away. Sadly, however, the computer industry shakeout of the dot-com meltdown began earnestly in early 2001, and by April... I was notified by Gateway that my role was being made redundant. <laughs> I love that term, redundant. I was nervous as the job market in Ireland was getting tight and I was unsure how to proceed. But Gateway made the process as pain-free as possible, offering laid-off employees extremely generous severance packages, heavily discounted computers, and keeping many of us on as consultants for another three months. With instruction that we were to use the company's equipment to help find a new job. That's damn cool if I could <laughs> yeah, put a little yeah. side in there. That's very cool. I eventually did find work in the financial services sector a couple of months later, but to this day, I have not a bad word to say about Gateway Computers. If I hear anything negative from others about Gateway, they will have to answer to me as it proved to be a compassionate, caring organization to its employees who fell on hard times. Good luck, Steve, and keep your chin up. Something better is just around the corner. Peter. I'd like to take this moment to welcome Gateway Computers as one of our sponsors for 2018. <laughs> Whatever happened to Gateway Computers? I don't know. They I think were they got bought. Yeah, I think they got bought up. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure I know I've owned one or two over the years. We got a second letter, not as happy, 
from Fetch in Evansville. Brad, why don't you read this one? Okay, here we go. Fetch writes, while listening to the latest episode yesterday about jobs, your theme song, Take This Job and Shove It, brought back a time when I was working at an NBC affiliate and we had just been bought by Raycom Communications with a new journeyman news director put in place. I was already looking to move on to greener pastures. My current job is working in IT at a university, so I thought, why not throw a little caution to the wind? The new news director came in and made sweeping changes to the show's format, despite our morning show having more viewers than the other four local morning shows. So, one of my last days, coming out of a commercial break, I played Take This Job and Shove It. Of course, after the show, I was called into his <laughs> office. I think it's amazing that he had the he freedom to pick music Nuts. on the air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I liken the experience to Office Space's Bill Lumberg. My boss said, um, yeah, was that song possibly directed at me? I replied, sir, nothing gets past you, and I'm sure that's why they made you news director. Yep, that was it for me. I finished out my two weeks there and Man. moved on. Shortly thereafter, Raycom cleaned house and let go much of the talent that had made the station great. I'm glad I left on my own terms while still getting a chance to poke the proverbial news director bear. By the way, he eventually got fired for the lower ratings. Love the new segment, Fetch in Evansville. That's fantastic. Nothing like karma revenge. That's yeah. great. I've never, I've never poked the bear, so but we'll see. I haven't either. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. Either way, let's don't, nobody be poking any bears. We love your stories, especially about the layoffs or anything sad that will help me perk up these days. <laughs> Broken love, uh, you know, whatever it takes to. Uh, to Give me a smile on the darkest of days. Send them to podcast at sit80s.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. In 1981, the French ski team missed an important meet. The U.S. team arrived early. And in 86, the Italians ran into a small problem. The U.S. team arrived early. For 10 years, the four-wheel drive Subaru has helped the U.S. ski team get a jump on the competition. Except in 84... When the Swedish women's team broke down. Subaru, the official car of the U.S. ski team. Howdy, man. We're back, and we have just a few minutes left. Hey, can I jump in real quick and just give you three quick trivia things about John Williams? Sure. Okay. Ooh, yeah. You remember the uh, the Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn theme? Yeah, yeah. It's John Williams is actually playing the piano, the opening riff on the piano to match the guitar. That's John Williams playing that. Wow. Yeah, he, he was a really, well, yeah. still is a really talented musician. Yeah. His dad was a jazz drummer yeah for um, um oh doggone it it was uh, raymond yeah. scott he played for raymond scott and raymond scott he was a real pioneer in electronic music he did a lot of stuff so john williams grew up just hearing all kinds of different like really talented players playing all kinds of new stuff and the old stuff and and i think that really uh you know that really fed his kind of his library of, of things he was going to try and use and, and think about when he was scoring yeah. things. and he was really popular in jazz circles and he's also known as little johnny love in jazz circles i just <laughs> love that little bit <laughs> Awesome. And then lastly, John Williams' son, Joseph Williams, was the lead singer of the band Toto. What? Yep. 
I'm pretty sure you just I knew that, that would freak you guys out. I'm not. He was the lead singer. He was. Uh, oh God! Is now I have like, to look it up. Like I don't the have the for, uh, is this like the guitarist thing? Is this Bootsy Gate? Bootsy Gate all two? over again. Yeah. yeah. Joseph Williams. I, I, I'm looking up real quick to see when he was with Toto. Let's see. He fronted the rock band Toto between 86 to 88 and again from 2010 to the present. Wow. Really? That's crazy. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Huh, see? Weird. I made it worth having me come on, huh? <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> always <laughs> worth having you on. <clears throat> Paid my rent. Here we go. <laughs> so anyway, we, we promised you that we would uh, go beyond the 80s, much to my chagrin. So for the final part of the show, uh, we're each going to pick one score – you can, you can name three, but you have to pick your favorite okay. of his work outside the 80s that you uh, that you are just as in love with as his 80s stuff. So, Drew, why don't you go first? All right. The two scores I'm just going to name check. One, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and two, Jurassic Park. But the score I wanted to highlight, because it's very different from the usual scores you get from John Williams, is the opening theme to Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> I just love how different it is. It is very different. Yeah. So that's a great movie too. Oh yeah. I know. I don't know how many times I've watched it. It's it's always on like Netflix and I or, or Amazon Prime, and I'm just like, okay, got nothing else to do. I'm going to watch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can. Yep. I don't care what part of the movie it is. I'll pick it up and watch it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a great film. Okay, Brad. Uh, what are your favorites? I only have a couple for you. The one I'll just name check is Hook. Uh, which I think is an underappreciated classic. Another time when John Williams and Spielberg worked together, my family, when the kids were little, we used to watch this movie all the time. My kids love this movie. Uh, so it just is, it's evocative. But I think you hear things in the hook theme that show up again in what I do want us to play a little clip of, and that's the Harry Potter themes. Oh, that's so fantastic. I love the Harry Potter uh, yeah. themes. It's just so iconic. Yeah. And I think, again, this is music that somehow the theme evolved with the series. Like, it's a series, you know, it starts out as kind of, oh, it's, you know, kids against uh, an unknown danger. And at the end of it, it's like, death and dismemberment <laughs> comes for you all. But somehow the way that the theme works, you know, it, it, matured, with the, it matured with the series. Death and comes for you all. Oh, that's going to be the subtitle of my autobiography. That would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've got three. The most obvious one, I'm surprised I'm the only one to mention it, Schindler's List, I think is fantastic. And one of those ones. I didn't mention it because I saw that you had mentioned it. Did you – I'm going to jump in real quick on YouTube. Did you see some of those? There was one where there was an orchestra playing it, and there was a woman in the orchestra who was sobbing while playing the song. Oh, God. It's so heartbreakingly beautiful. I know. We can't. Well, I will not be watching that anytime soon. That's like, that's. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, it needs a difficulty multiplier. Oh, the topic is already so sensitive. And then, uh, wow. This one, I was humming this song right before we started recording today. 
Uh, it's a horrible movie, but it's 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 a great John Williams score for 1941. Anyone remember this one? Uh, John Belushi, right? It's so bad. Yeah, yeah, John Belushi. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, it's not a good film. I think I saw it in theaters, and I don't. It's not a good film. And not to get weepy or anything, but for my my top pick, and I didn't know that John Williams did this one. But uh, when my dad was still alive, one of the things that he and I would always do together was um, he would always take me to the movies, just me and him. And we'd always, it would always be usually a war movie. So the movies we saw together included, you know, Bridge Too Far, um, Big Red One, and then this one for the movie Midway. That's call out to dad. I love that's that. That's very that cool. Movie. That's very cool. I had actually never heard this score. So when you linked it, I was really excited to hear it. It's a great score. Yeah, it is a great score. And it's yeah. a great movie. I, I mean, this is one of those ones they used to show over oh, the so night. Oh, so long. Yeah. Remember yeah, yeah. that? Like on broadcast TV? Because it's long, right? But I just, oh man, I would, any time it was on, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is fantastic. I haven't seen All-star it. All-star cast. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's I mean, in it. It's fantastic. It is, it is, I mean, the 70s were such a great decade for, for war movies. And so, so many of the great ones came out and they all had fantastic yeah. scores for the most part. But yeah. um, this one was John Williams. Anyway, we hope you appreciate our countdown, our list. If you disagree, send us an email at podcast at sit80s.com. Drew, thank you so much for coming back and lending your expertise to this topic. Thanks. Yes. Thanks so much. I, you know, my favorite composer. Yes, for very good reason. In the meantime, Brad, myself, Drew, and uh, John Williams remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.